Hey, I'm Will, and this is Benj. We're both church planners trying to work out how to form churches in this post-pandemic world. I lead a church that's trying to grow big. And I lead a church that's trying to grow small. But we share an interest in the beautiful and diverse future of the church in Australia. What will it look like? How will it adapt and innovate and thrive? If you're asking these questions too, then join us as we host a range of conversations with diverse thinkers and practitioners around what comes next. Welcome to the Forming Church Podcast, brought to you by Gen 1K and our vision to see a thousand healthy churches in a generation. Well, dear friends, this is a roundtable episode. What does that mean, Bench? Well, it means we are continuing the conversation from last week's episode. So if you haven't listened to that one yet, go back and listen to that. That will give you context for what we're talking about today. Jamie Freeman and a couple of friends that he's pulled in are going to go through that episode and kind of help to unpack it and flesh it out in different contexts. So this is your chance to go deeper and consider what these ideas might look like where you are. This episode is sponsored by Baptist Financial Services. Invest with purpose. Find out more at bfs.org.au. Welcome to the Forming Church Roundtable discussion on Todd's interview about adaptive leadership, change and spiritual formation. Wow, what an interview that was. Uh, Today I have two special guests with me. I have Daz and Kelly. Guys, welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Jamie. Can you share a bit about your life and your ministry context, just so that our listeners get to know who you are and what, yeah, what a week looks like for you? Um, well, yeah, my name's Kelly Crawford, and I'm the Public Engagement Coordinator and Disaster Relief Coordinator for the Association, Baptist Association. And um, yeah, I'm a part-time worker. I, um, I'm also a mom. I have a six-year-old and a seven-year-old. Um, I enjoy that fully, and I live in the Sydney area. Thank you. Daz, how about you? Yeah, well, my name's Daz Farrell. I'm the Executive Ministry Director of Churches of Christ. And it's hard to describe what <laughs> a, a week looks like because no day is the same. Um, and I'm high learning because I've only started in this role uh, February 1 officially, but transitioning from you know last year, really. Um, I have three daughters uh, and a wife who's a scuba diver instructor. Uh, And so, yeah, lots of fun in thinking about what it is to immerse in different environments. We're both (laughs) doing deep dives. (laughs) Excellent. So, guys, um, the interview that Benj and Will had with Todd was fantastic, Mm. really insightful. I'm wondering what stood out to you particularly about that interview. Yeah, well, it's interesting because my husband um, actually kind of works and lives in startup world. So I've heard a lot of these uh, concepts um, in in our home just as he's worked through projects. Um, It's really interesting to hear it apply to the church. Um, And I think that there's a lot of space and opportunity for the church to engage in these stuff. I'm always interested in the posture behind, uh, like what leads somebody to work in this way or to try new things, to adapt, to experiment, to fail, to be okay with that. Um, so the things that really stood out to me are, you know, what are the, um, I guess the personal transformation things that kind of you have to go through as a leader and what's the posture that a leader needs to take if they're going to do this well. Cause I think we can always learn new skills if we have the right posture towards that. Um, so yeah, that's what I was really interested in what, um, in what Todd said. Um, and I think there's lots of other work done in this space that you can learn these things from as well um, if you have that heart to learn. 
right? I did love that phrase that he used around uh, learning and facing loss and that that's oh, a key yeah. part to leadership. Oh, I always like the the throwaway lines as well. Like there's lots of stuff that he obviously shares, but um, he did talk about justice, like in that one liner that Benj, I think, shot at him like yeah it's the future of the church he talked about justice and white supremacy and other things i just thought that was interesting like i was like wow that like because his curiosity around formation was a bent towards mission and he mentioned that and i love that that would be something i'd love to explore a bit more with with him but i i think obviously what really resonated from my own experience as well was this idea of if you don't have a mentor and i wish that i'd had as i went through experiences someone who could have held my soul while i was feeling failure so that it didn't turn into the regular shame narrative that we all end up mm. going into uh and so that's that's the challenge when i listen to any podcast is i go down rabbit holes and then i miss what was said the, the next five minutes so, but but that was something that really great i was like wow how he because he mentions that mentoring is so key and he says that for young leaders but so true um, because you do feel shame when you fail. This world is constantly giving you narratives of what failure is. Um, so it really stood out to me to have that message go out to say it's actually okay. It's a reframing of what this experience, which we might call failure, actually is. That really grabbed me, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, Jamie, and because Desmond, you mentioned about the justice stuff, and I know he mentioned in the podcast, like, what are some of the things that became apparent? Um, some of, what are some of the accelerating trends? And one of the things he said was that he really feels, and obviously he's speaking from a U.S. context, um, that the church has lost its ability to speak mm. prophetically about yeah. issues like race and injustice. And what's so interesting about that is you can directly tie it to this when you become safe as an institution. Um, and when you become safe in the, and you become embedded in power structures, it's really hard to speak um, on things that are going to upset people yes. or shake, rock the boat. Um, and yet that's what Jesus calls us to do. <laughs> and so I think that, um, especially for the U.S., and I know here as well, we do have to think as, as a church about how we've... Um, become bedfellows in some way with mm. structures of power and whether that's stopping us from being being able to engage in mission in the way we should be. I couldn't agree more. Like the, I, I keep thinking sometimes the challenge for us is we, we can end up feeling entitled. So when you enter the centre, you, you feel this entitlement and then when that gets taken away from you, Miroslav Volf, was, I went to his thinking around this stuff on the church in the margins because that is where we have always leveraged from. And um, James Davison Hunter, another guy, yeah, right, yeah, to ch yeah, to change the world. That same idea. And so the question is, we we didn't choose to be shifting back to the margins, but we are going back to the margins. And so there's the reframing there, I think, as well. Like, how do you reframe on your way there? I think that's new. Often you would think you would move from the from the margins, and then you go to the center. But I, I don't know. Do we have a model of going from the center back to the margins, and how you do that well? a bit exilic yeah and, and it's interesting because we both um we both picked up on that idea of grief and loss yeah. um and really i think what we're seeing and i feel like i can say this because i am american so i'm not trying to criticize the u.s but i think so much of the behavior that we're also seeing from the church is actually a working of grief and loss that yeah. we we are losing something and there is grief and there's legitimate grief to some of that um some of it is some of it we need to just get over but there is some legitimate grief um and how do we as pastors and church leaders help our people work through that in a meaningful and constructive way and reassure them that it's okay to be on the margins and that God is with us and that there are opportunities and there are people we can learn from so yeah I think that grief and loss 
Plus, you can see it happening in the church for sure. Yeah, 100%. And in that, we have the posture of Jesus, don't we, that who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped after, but actually emptied himself. And so I think that that journey to the margins is actually one of not grasping after power, but emptying oneself and uh, having the mind of Christ in that space. Daz, you, you mentioned briefly about failure. And I wanted to push into that a bit further. Do you, can you share a bit about your experience Absolutely. in that space? Yeah, yeah. So I think, um, I, I think um, C.S. Lewis was really pivotal in my early faith journey. And I, I think he says that, uh, maybe it's in The Great Divorce, that we, we mistake the means for the ends and it's probably our greatest sort of trap. <laughs> so, so I think I'm about to set out, plant a church, change the world, and, I, I, and God says, no, no, I care that you look like my son. And so the, the, the means of that in this process may become a necessary humiliation <laughs> as I go through it. But I think what, what I'd lost sight of is that why we would do anything in this world is always for the glory of God. But sometimes out of deep insecurity and absence of my own sort of formation and in an awareness of my own interior world, I've got these other drivers that keep saying you must sh- evidence, it's workspace again, evidence that you are in the kingdom or something. And um, so when I began, you know, hung around with a lot of church planters, uh, I had this vision, this idea, this desire and wanted to ground it. I had some coaches in the US sort of go, wow, it's a pretty big vision. I'm like, yeah, I'll give that a go anyway. Like, you know, and, and it's wanting to have a risk. But I think what happened is that when I started this initiative, when I saw that the very heart of what I was trying to do, and I think there is some goodness in there. I mean, the heart is deceitful above all things and not to be trusted. And yet also there is a new heart given, right? So I think we've got this constant wrestle going on. But I found that when the church plant side didn't work, I couldn't, something in me went, I don't know how to say that. I don't know how to face that. I just want to disappear um, because it felt like there were all these witnesses and these accusations, <laughs> you know, which Revelation says the accuser day and night, but I had people in my head saying things to me they weren't even saying because I'd entered now shame and that was where I went was like I, I've failed. I have not achieved. I've not. I've failed my king. I've failed my people. And so I, I think that took me a long while to get out of that um, because – and I think this is what the community of faith is meant to be, is how do we hold one another in these spaces where things do start to deconstruct or we maybe disintegrate as persons. Um, do you think changing the metrics for success would have changed that experience for you? And I think Todd uh, jumps so, into that. Like yeah. it, it, the, there's no longer the the churches that Paul planted. They don't exist anymore. Yes. There's no church of Ephesus or Corinth, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. And so longevity isn't uh, a key success indicator, but um, innovation might be one or making disciples might yes. be another that he talked about. And that even if the community um, doesn't get off the ground or wraps up in a couple of years, if you can say actually no disciples were made, um, that you're, you're, you're fruitful in that context. Do you think changing the metrics for success would have impacted yes, your feelings? I do think that, absolutely. And I also think something that I've reread recently in Dietrich Bonhoeffer, writing, he's writing Ethics. He says that a Christian should never know when they're doing good because the operation of their soul now is not good and evil. It's relational. It's a relational paradigm. I'm Jesus is now my conscience, not the law. So because Jesus is my conscience, I do and don't do certain things based on a relational framework, not what I think is good and evil. Therefore, I can't know that I've done good. 
And I love that. It's actually very freeing because our role is to obey, not to discern whether I've now just done a good thing or whether I've succeeded. So that, that's the challenge even with having the, the success metric, so to speak, is do I, what do I enter when I do that? Like is the glory of God, the that would be for me the thing is, and, and how do I know that God is most glorified? Well, Jesus said, if you, if you love me, you know, you'll obey me. So I kind of feel like that's also been sitting there as this, how do we, Jesus said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. I, I think that's a really serious thing. That's so good. Yeah, it's interesting because um, Todd says in the interview, like when he was pitching that idea before the VCs um, in Silicon Valley and they said, you know what, Todd, like <laughs> they don't care um, yes. about the success of your institution. Um, people care about, you know, did like, or whether your church lives or dies, they care about, did you love them? Like, did you love others well? Yeah. And um, I think we often, we won't know that fully. On, you know, we will not know that fully on this side of life. You're not going to yes. necessarily do a survey. Maybe you are, but people aren't necessarily doing a survey at the end of their church to say, did you feel loved in this neighborhood? So, um, but that's a really key and valuable metric, actually. Yeah, I loved how his whole journey into this space started. Like the conversation uh, that he wanted to have kept being interrupted by what kept leaders up at night. (laughs) And so he had to find that space um, between spiritual formation and uh, the question that is on every pastor's mind, like how do I keep my church from dying? And, uh, and, And what does it mean to lead differently in this rapidly changing world? I just found his journey into this space was really, really helpful. Um, and what does it mean to meet the pastors and leaders that we work with where they're at and help connect them to this big thing that God is doing um, beyond them but in them and through them? Yeah. Another thing that he, he pushed into was the different difference between a technical problem mm. and an adaptive challenge. And he used that as a throwaway line but didn't really unpack it. And um, uh, I wanted to hear a bit more about that. Have you guys heard that concept before? Did anyone want to unpack that for us? Oh, I don't know how well I can unpack it. I have heard that before. Um, and I actually have heard it. I have a, a good friend who works with one of our banks and does like adaptive culture work with banks. Um, and we meet a lot and talk about this idea of so many of the issues that we face and deal with, including what churches face, are they're, they're incredibly complex and there aren't easy answers. And so what becomes necessary is how you're going to respond to those. And one of the ways that you do it is by hearing from as many people as possible and getting introduced to a lot of new ideas and new ways of looking at things and then being able to change your own thoughts or the way that you approach it based upon the feedback that you're hearing. Um, That's not as easy as having, I mean, a lot of things need a technical solution, um, but the complexity I think that we're dealing with in people and in society, um, we often have to hear from many different voices and be able to take in a lot of new information and to change quickly um, because everything else is changing quickly. So that's where I think I've, I heard it quite um, put quite well from her and, and, you know, she's doing it obviously for a bank, but um, there are a lot of ways that you can apply that to the way a church interacts with their neighborhood and with society. Mm. So like a technical um, problem is easy to find the solution. You might not have the answer. So a broken arm is a technical problem. I don't know how to fix a broken arm, but there's an expert who does. And so I can go and speak to them and they'll be able to set 
a cast on my arm and I'll be fine. And so there's a there's a technical solution to the technical problem. And adaptive challenge is a bit more vague and ambiguous and therefore we yes. need to do more work on it to actually identify what the question is that's before us. And therefore we do need to hear those different voices uh, and engage them through the process, which is why spiritual formation, mm. um, and I love how he brings that into it, but uh, why spiritual formation is so important in that. Yeah. Anything else on that, Dad? Uh, uh, yeah, I love your word, Jamie. Uh, ambiguous. I think I think we need to be comfortable with ambiguity, and I think the anxiety to try and find a solution often that's the you know this is Friedman's stuff. If you've read you know his uh, leadership in the age of the quick fix, a failure of nerve, amazing book, favorite book I've read, and he talks a lot about this. You know, that's his whole whole premise, really. So the anxiety that says I need to find a solution. This, in, if I go back to what I just shared before, that's these voices in my head, in a way, these people I'm pleasing or these whatever it is, there's some anxiety that's driving my need to have because I can't hold the ambiguity, I can't hold the space or the liminal space or whatever it is. Um, and I think the arrival at the adaptive answer requires experimentation and failing all those things, but I think we need non-anxious presence to do that and enough distance to get out of the system this is where the power of the sort of systems and family systems thinking is because when you can step outside you realize well i'm really bound in this because it's relational i've got relationships and my decisions now make a real difference to real people who i know and love and sometimes it's harder for me to see the solution because i'm also now i'm bound up in this system so part of the adaptive challenge is stepping completely outside, getting enough spaciousness and distance. And this is where the disciplines of, actually, I'm going to go on a silence and solitude retreat in the middle of this storm. I'm going to get proximity with Jesus because if I don't, <laughs> I'm just going to be swallowed in this. But, but the pressure to remain in the system and in the anxiety is so high for a leader. Um, the authors of um, adaptive, the practice of adaptive leadership, they actually talk about that and they use the phrase getting on the balcony. Um, yeah. So getting off the dance floor where you're dancing around with people and all you can see is people, they're close to you, you've got no perspective. And so they talk about the practice of uh, getting on the balcony and observing what's before you. Is it yeah. a technical problem or is it an adaptive challenge? And that's part of building an adaptive culture. And another part of building an adaptive culture is that elephants in the room are named. Mm. Uh, and, and I think so often um, we, we resist that in – Christian leadership because um, the, the, the tension that that might bring, the, the conflict that could arise out of that, uh, we just avoid these elephants. And uh, I remember speaking with a good friend um, and he was talking about the senior leader in his church and uh, he described this, this person as someone who doesn't just name the elephant in the room but gets up on top of that elephant, grabs it by the ears and rides it round so that everybody else can see it. Uh, That's a brilliant picture. <laughs> but that church actually takes discipleship seriously. Yeah. They were able to name, hey, we're not actually making disciples. Yeah. Uh, what does it mean to make a disciple in this place? And, and then take the church on a 10-year journey of reorienting around discipleship and spiritual formation. That journey only started because the elephant in the room was named. Yeah. And it takes guts, doesn't it? in leadership it it takes it takes a lot of guts and i think i mean todd mentions it but i know and i'm sure you've encountered it in your own leadership journey this idea that i don't have to be the expert mm. um because i think it's really easy to want to be the expert and it feels a bit safer because but you, you know you have the answer and you can solve it but then again you are 
more inclined to provide a technical solution to the the problem in that sense. And I think one of the hard things is saying, well, no, actually, I don't have to be the expert. Um, I have to be able to convene the table. I have to be able to listen. I have to be able to respond with a posture of, you know, listening with warmth, um, engagement, um, and and get struck some structures moving to help um, move move forward in this space. But it's that idea of giving up the need to be the expert that mm-hmm. I think is really hard for a lot of people and produces a lot of that anxiety. Um, and that's where the spiritual formation side comes in so well, because are we going to ground our identity in mm-hmm. the ability to provide the right answer? Um, and the pr- ability to be the expert, are we going to ground it in something more secure, like our identity in Christ um, and our safety and security in Christ? Amen. That's brilliant. That's gold. And you even see in the interview, Todd resisting providing answers, yeah. uh, both to Benjamin Will and to church leaders, and, and yet encouraging them to engage in a process um, that's formational, uh, giving them a framework to come up, because every context is different. Mm-hmm. Was there anything else that stood out to you guys? I think just sort of slightly stemming on from the sabotage idea as well. Like I think that's, you know, something that he mentions and in, in Friedman's book he talks a lot about it too. But he, I think I heard Todd say a lot of leaders are yeah, – tell me more about that. <laughs> and I think one of the challenges is knowing and, you know, we've got this in G- – I'm just – I'm so fascinated. I could get a whole rabbit hole thinking about Jesus with Judas – when did he know? Did he know from the start? Three years, sabotage was coming. It was going to be him. Like, if you think about that, that's anyway. So, in our own context, how do you live with the expectation without paranoia <laughs> that you're going to be sabotaged? So, Friedman says, expect it. And I, I, I'm not sure what Todd's, I hadn't read that, that, that his book yet, but um, I think that's also a challenge, isn't it? To go, oh, I'm probably going to be sabotaged, especially if I'm going to start naming elephants um, and sacred cows and other things. I'm going to be, it's going to be costly. And that's where the failure piece, I think, comes in because when you have familiarity with God as saviour, you realise he's the one who holds you, he's the one who comes through every time and now you've got this treasure chest of trust that says God is good all the time, not a slogan I said but something I know from my inner core. That's where the failure and the coming and getting up again bit is helpful because when it comes to that you can go, oh, God's come through a thousand times before and I'm aware of it, I'm aware (laughs) because there's a lot of times God comes through we're just not aware because we're not attentive to his activity but yeah, that grabbed me, sabotage, yeah. And it's, it's not about training, is it? Todd kind of unpacks this. It's about experience and mentoring and how yeah. those things go together. And that the leadership journey is lifelong. And as I've heard you talk about this on a number of occasions. And so therefore, it's, it's having the people, the community around you uh, to process that, to lean into that, to allow space to actually um, live in the tension of that. Uh, and it's through that uh, with the word and the people and the spirit of God uh, that actually we're formed and coming to maturity in Christ. And isn't it, it's interesting because, I mean, that so much depends on having strong relationships with people, having yeah. people that you can trust. And yet one of the things that he said really um, appeared during COVID is that we have a deep, lack of community or people were experiencing a lack of deep community and so at the same time we're recognizing how important it is we're also seeing that people 
lack lack depth in their relationships and that people are craving that as well. And so that's one of, I think, the key things that we can do as Christians and in the church community is how do we live that out really well? How do we provide opportunities for that? How do we model that? Um, Because it's something that people in the world are craving and that's necessary for our development as humans and our security as humans. And yet it's something that we, in, in many cases, we're not doing all that well, it seems. So good. I'd love to hear if you were sitting here with Todd and you were going to ask him a follow-up question, what would that be? Yeah, I immediately went to the um, uh, the grief and loss bit. Like, help me unpack how – because we, we actually did something literally yesterday as a process of trying to lament or grieve what was. You know, that's what you were talking about, Kelly. Like, how, But I, I admit I don't really know how to do that very well. And how do we get better at grieving – with boldness, um, with real integrated emotion, without you know, but we just don't know how to do it. And so I think that um, I've, I've been involved in um, churches closing, uh, starting new ones, um, stepping down leaders, and in all of these things, there is this process of grief. Um, I've been through my own griefs, but I just, I just, I'd love to go. I'd love to ask him, Todd, what, what have you experienced? A, a healthy processes for communal grief, even um, not just individual, but communal. When a church does close or finish or change, do we have permission? Because it feels like I'm being asked to get on board with the next thing. But my suspicion is that what is not processed, or Richard Raw says, if it's not transformed, it's transmitted. So therefore, I'm carrying forward my resentment because I didn't grieve. So that would be definitely something I'd love to explore because I just don't – I feel like that's one – I'm in this system of – I don't know. I, don't, I just don't know. But that's – yeah. And yet um, it's not just important in the church but especially for our world at this present moment in mm. time with uh, so many different types of loss associated with COVID. Uh, and it's going to be different for different people. I remember sitting uh, in some training around consultancy and talking about what it means when churches re-engage after COVID. Uh, There's going to be some people whose experience during this time was fantastic. They worked from home. They had more time together with their family or with their um, housemates. And and so they're they're doing really well. But there's going to be others who their home environment was really unsafe um, or there was tension in their marriage or in their relationship with their children. There's going to be others who have lost their job Uh, And all of these people in Christian communities are going to be coming together, but also in our neighborhoods are going to begin regathering. So what is the church's role to help people process that grief and that loss? And how do we do that well individually, but also how do we do that well collectively? I think that's great. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that about what is the church's role. And I think there's probably a lot for us to learn from. I know we were talking previously about what does it look like to see it from a lens of trauma mm. um because i think we're see we we see people we see the sabotage <laughs> we see anger and resentment um we see disengagement um those are often secondary emotions and there's something deeper going on and that that thing that's going on yeah. is grief and it's loss and people aren't able to name it and they're not able to recognize necessarily that that's what they're experiencing but when we look at that and it's really looking at people through the lens of love isn't it which yeah. which Christ enables us to do when we start to see it from that less less of oh this person's out to 
get me, even though they may be, but this, you know, that paranoid lens, but start to see it from a trauma informed lens. I think it maybe creates a bit more of a pathway to help recognize what emotions may really be happening. And then how do you help somebody name those and work through those in a healthy way? Um, yeah, it's quite, quite an interesting way of looking at behavior in people. Yeah. And that's where the, when we're talking about the formation thing for me, that's where the, where we do story based, that's where it's so important because when you hear someone's narrative and you hear the, you know, I've had trauma in my life as well, I'm aware of it, I carry it, I carry particular social anxieties that come from traumatic experiences that I'm progressively giving, you know, thankfully sanctification is a process, not <laughs> one off, but giving people permission to have these conversations. And when you sit in a group and share stories and you hear this, suddenly you understand why someone would respond with anger or fear or whatever it is in a situation because you see what they're living from, where the wound has happened and where the processing and the healing needs to happen. And that, that's what the deep community, I think that's the desire of everyone to have that kind of deep community, which is not typically modelled uh, well because it, I don't know if we... Brene Brown says, uh, I think, less safe, more brave spaces. Um, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. And I remember when I started doing the bushfire relief and recovery work, Jamie, and I was speaking to a pastor and there was some research that had come out and his church was in kind of the epicenter of one of the major fires. And he said, the research is showing that if people have their, the opportunity to tell their story, if they just can tell their story, that they are far less likely to need formalized counseling in the future. And so it was his goal to try to provide as many opportunities as possible for people to tell those stories. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's what we did. That's what we were able to do with some of the disaster relief work. But it is that power of storytelling yeah. and being heard. And if we can create space in our churches for that to happen, I think we might be on that journey. Yeah, of, that's um, so good, Yeah, Kelly. it's interesting. Yeah. Any other questions that you'd want to follow up with Todd? I had some questions around and I know that he probably wouldn't answer like you said he doesn't want to give kind of some answers on things but um, well I was quite interested in because when you look at the way that this prototyping works and experimentation and I know from talks with my husband about like what agile teams look like and are there actually just certain models of church that are not conducive to this kind of stuff and may have to die and be rebirthed as something else. Like, are we actually, are are there, can any church embark on this process or are there actually certain structures that aren't going to be helpful to this in the future? How much do we have to pare back in the way we do things in our programs, in our systems, in our staffing um, in order to make this work and in order to actually continue to adapt into the future and, and in that, it's so hard, I think, when your full-time job is, you know, you're the pastor, you're being paid by the church. Like, are we actually entering an age where bivocational ministry um, is going to become even more yeah. important? And um, I'd love to hear him speak a bit on that, if you would. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Great questions. And that's a good conversation. And it raises so many other things that we would need to then answer. What's the training? What's the support? What's the community? What's the financial modeling around all of that for pastors and leaders? And there's just, when you're in the system and it's a key yeah. part of your identity and the, and your purpose, it's so hard to have that conversation, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. 
So guys, if you were to suggest a next step for someone wanting to explore any of the topics we've touched on, what would it be? The, the things that I, I had sort of had in my mind is that through um, ACOM, um, the Australian College of Ministries, our Bible College, Churches of Christ, there are spiritual formation units and they're really well developed and have been over a long period of time. Um, I think you and, – and the way we've designed these is they're online modules but they're, they're done – they're lived in communities, these temporary communities. So people trek through over a year. They might do three years. They might do more. You can do – I think there's five units that we've got. You can do over five years. Um, that's definitely something worth looking at because it's the, the when you've got this Trinitarian combination of this sort of fueling new content, um, but you've also got this um, community of people and a mentor, which is what we make everyone do. When you've got those three, there's something quite powerful that happens in that space because you've got this one-on-one processing, this community processing and the content that's fueling it. Um, so, And we have various cohorts that we run that do, that do that. I would definitely recommend someone jump in on that. It doesn't matter where you come from, you can jump in on these things and they're on our, our Fresh Hope website. The books that I found super helpful, like it was Friedman that I mentioned before, the leadership um, it's called A Failure of Nerve in the subtitle Leadership in the Age of the Quick Fix and a guy who studied under him uh, called Peter Steinke um, so my predecessor, he brought out Peter Steinke here and he's written a lot of books about congregational anxiety, leadership, uh, teaching, you know, fish to walk and other, this is adaptive challenge and all these other things. Uh, he's now passed into glory, but he has some great stuff for local churches to think through the adaptive challenge. Uh, understanding family systems is probably another one I would do as well. I think that was just key for me. And with the whole formation piece, I think story, understanding your story, understanding your, we do a lot of um, genogram mapping with people as well. Just things like that, that help, help because you can't connect to anybody else's suffering if you haven't connected to your own. And Jesus says that you need to love others as you love yourself. So, so it's pretty hard for you to be able to hold with compassion if you yourself have not even shown a kindness or a compassion towards yourself. So so I think there's content, but there's processes Um and I, I think like all things, though, you can't really know what you know until you live it in community. Otherwise, it's just knowledge. It's just, you know, it sits up here. But and even then, that's a whole rabbit warren for me. But I even think we've got a crisis on the way we know. In, in the West, I think we think it's about content um, accumulation, which, yeah, <laughs> masquerades as something else. But I don't think that's actually true knowing, which... Uh, others have articulated well, but that faith, hope, and love are actually frameworks of knowledge. So love is a framework of knowledge, not just knowing content. Yeah, oh, that's interesting. I mean, picking up on what Daz has just said, I personally have found, I mean, I don't come from church world, so I'm probably not as well versus as Daz in a lot of those books, but I definitely found the work on like emotionally healthy leadership mm. um, really helpful um, in kind of helping people work through that process for themselves of like, what are what's actually triggering you and why is it becoming a problem in your leadership and in your spirituality? Um, I love Brene Brown's work on shame. I think mm. she's just brilliant. I, yeah. I hope that more more um, Christians would recognize that she's coming from a Christian framework um, and that um, her work on shame is brilliant for the world and the church. Um, And, you know, that's not what Christians should be about, right? We think of failure and we think, oh, I'm shameful about Mm. that. But um, I don't know. I think there's some spiritual warfare happening when that's going on, isn't there? Um, And um, obviously there's been stuff worked on, um, written on, the agile church and things like that. But, you know, if you're interested in exploring how this plays out in community a bit, looking at some of the fields of community organizing and asset-based community development Mm. are really helpful because it's a lot about how do you ask the right questions 
how do you get people in the room, all people? Who are the people that you're leaving out unintentionally or intentionally that are actually really helpful to solving some of these things? Um, and also, I think along with that is how do you listen really well? Those, I mean, those fields and the work done in those are quite helpful in, in lending some advice into this space. So there's a whole bunch of tools that are available that you can access on that. And Kelly, you're also available from the association's perspective to um, point churches in that direction or help them run workshops in that space, uh, better using these tools to engage and understand their community and listen to the different stories of those people who are within the church and also beyond the church. Guys, thank you so much for uh, joining me in this roundtable discussion. It was really, really fruitful. And uh, also, thank you for listening. We encourage you to join the conversation online through uh, the Facebook group and also through the Instagram.